You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Friday, January 21st. Today we're talking about a 22-year-old who builds chips in his parents' garage, combining 1970s-era machines with homemade designs. His creations show what's possible for small-scale silicon tinkerers. Before we get into today's top story, remember to check out our other Wired podcasts, Today in Wired Business, from New York to Moab, Utah, bicyclists and municipal officials are divided over whether e-bikes should be permitted on bicycle trails. Checking in on Wired Science, a new trend in patient-centered design focuses on making environments more comfortable and less scary. And on Wired Security, zero-click Zoom vulnerabilities could have exposed calls. The flaws are now fixed but speak to the growing concerns around interactionless attacks. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com slash podcasts. In August, chipmaker Intel revealed new details about its plan to build a megafab on U.S. soil, a $100 billion factory where 10,000 workers will make a new generation of powerful processors studded with billions of transistors. The same month, 22-year-old Sam Zalouf announced his own semiconductor milestone, It was achieved alone in his family's New Jersey garage, about 30 miles from where the first transistor was made at Bell Labs in 1947. With a collection of salvaged and homemade equipment, Zalouf produced a chip with 1,200 transistors. He had sliced up wafers of silicon, patterned them with microscopic designs using ultraviolet light, and dunked them in acid by hand, documenting the process on YouTube and his blog. Maybe it's overconfidence, but I have a mentality that another human figured it out, so I can too, even if maybe it takes me longer, he says. Zalouf's chip was his second. He made the first, much smaller one, as a high school senior in 2018. He started making individual transistors a year before that. His chips lag intels by technological eons, but Zalouf argues only half-jokingly that he's making faster progress than the semiconductor industry did in its early days. His second chip has 200 times as many transistors as his first, a growth rate outpacing Moore's Law, the rule of thumb coined by an Intel co-founder that says the number of transistors on a chip doubles roughly every two years. Zalouf now hopes to match the scale of Intel's breakthrough 4004 chip from 1971, 
the first commercial microprocessor which had 2300 transistors and was used in calculators and other business machines. In December, he started work on an interim circuit design that can perform simple addition. Outside Zalouf's garage, the pandemic has triggered a global semiconductor shortage, hobbling supplies of products from cars to game consoles. That's inspired new interest from policymakers in rebuilding the U.S. capacity to produce its own computer chips after decades of offshoring. Garage-built chips aren't about to power your PlayStation, but Zalouf says his unusual hobby has convinced him that society would benefit from chip-making being more accessible to inventors without multi-million dollar budgets. That really high barrier to entry will make you super risk-averse, and that's bad for innovation, Zalouf says. Zalouf started down the path to making his own chips as a high school junior in 2016. He was impressed by YouTube videos from inventor and entrepreneur Jerry Ellsworth in which she made her own thumb-sized transistors in a process that included templates cut from vinyl decals and a bottle of rust stain remover. Zalouf set out to replicate Ellsworth's project and take what to him seemed a logical next step, going from lone transistors to integrated circuits, a jump that historically took about a decade. He took it a quantum leap further, says Ellsworth, now CEO of an augmented reality startup called Tilt 5. There's tremendous value in reminding the world that these industries that seem so far out of reach started somewhere more modest, and you can do that yourself. Computer chip fabrication is sometimes described as the world's most difficult and precise manufacturing process. When Zalouf started blogging about his goals for the project, some industry experts emailed to tell him it was impossible. The reason for doing it was honestly because I thought it would be funny, he says. I wanted to make a statement that we should be more careful when we hear that something's impossible. Zalouf's family was supportive, but also cautious. His father asked a semiconductor engineer he knew to offer some safety advice. My first reaction was that you couldn't do it. This is a garage, says Mark Rothman, who has spent 40 years in chip engineering and now works at a company making technology for OLED screens. Rothman's initial reaction softened as he saw Zalouf's progress. He has done things I would never have thought people could do. Zalouf's project involves history as well as engineering. Modern chip fabrication takes place in facilities whose expensive HVAC systems remove every trace of dust that might trouble their billions of dollars of machinery. Zalouf couldn't match those techniques, so he read patents and textbooks from the 1960s and 70s when engineers at pioneering companies like Fairchild Semiconductor made chips at ordinary workbenches. They describe methods using exacto blades and tape and a few beakers, not we have this $10 million machine the size of a room, Zalouf says. Zalouf had to stock his lab with vintage equipment, too. On eBay and other auction sites, he found a ready supply of bargain chip gear from the 1970s and 80s that once belonged to since-shuttered Californian tech companies. Much of the equipment required fixing, but old machines are easier to tinker with than modern lab machinery. One of Zalouf's best finds was a broken electron microscope that cost $250,000 in the early 90s. He bought it for $1,000 and repaired it. He uses it to inspect his chips for flaws, as well as the nanostructures on butterfly wings. At times, Zalouf had to improvise. As in a real chip fab, he wanted to transfer his microscopically detailed designs onto his devices using a process called photolithography. It involves coating a chip-to-be in light-sensitive material and using a device like a super-precise projector to burn in a template that will guide subsequent processing steps. Photolithography machines are expensive. 
up to $150 million. And so Zalouf made his own by bolting a modified conference room projector bought on Amazon onto a microscope. It projects his designs at tiny scale onto silicon wafers that Zalouf coats in material sensitive to ultraviolet light. In 2018, Zalouf designed his first chip, a simple amplifier with six transistors, during gym class after a substitute teacher directed students to do classwork. After about 12 hours of work and 66 steps spread out over a month, he had the Z1. It featured three of the dancing bears that are a symbol of the Grateful Dead, and now appear on all of Zalouf's chips in a nod of thanks to Rothman, a fan of the band. The Z1 used transistors that Zalouf called straight out of the 1970s, with features as small as 175 microns, roughly a hair's breadth. He put the chips to work in a circuit board that flashes a single LED and a guitar distortion pedal. Late in 2018, Zalouf started at Carnegie Mellon University, hacking on pieces of garage fab equipment in his dorm room while studying electrical engineering. Although he says he followed safety protocols, the university took exception to the x-ray machine in his dorm room. During trips home, he upgraded his setup in preparation for his second chip, the Z2. It uses a faster switching transistor design based on wafers of a form of crystalline silicon known as polysilicon that became dominant in the 1970s. Zalouf spun hand-cut half-inch squares of polysilicon, each to become a separate chip on a small homemade turntable at 4,000 revolutions per minute to coat them with the photosensitive material needed to transfer his design onto the surface. Then his homemade photolithography machine beamed on his design, a grid of 12 circuits, each with 100 transistors and a dancing bear, 1,200 transistors in all. Each chip was then etched in acid and cooked in a furnace at about 1,000 degrees Celsius to bake in phosphorus atoms to adjust its connectivity. Three more rounds under the photolithography machine, separated by steps, including time in a vacuum chamber filled with glowing purple plasma to etch away polysilicon, finished off each chip. Today's commercial fabs produce chips in a broadly similar way, using a sequence of steps to gradually add and remove material in different parts of a design. Those chips are much more complex, with billions of much smaller transistors arrayed tightly together, and the steps are performed by machines, not by hand. The transistors on Zalouf's second-generation chips were about 10 times faster than those on his first, and had features as small as 10 microns, not much bigger than a red blood cell. In August, Zalouf tested the Z2 by hooking it up to a boxy beige semiconductor analyzer released by Hewlett-Packard about two decades before he was born. A series of smoothly ramping current voltage curves on its glowing green screen signaled success. That curve was amazing to look at, Zalouf says. The first sign of life after you spend all day dunking this little shard of crystals into beakers of chemicals. How to celebrate when your homemade chip works? Tweet it, Zalouf says. His project has earned a dedicated Twitter following and millions of YouTube views, as well as some handy tips from veterans from the 1970s semiconductor industry. Zalouf says he doesn't know for sure what he wants to do after graduating this spring, but he has been thinking about the place DIY chip making might have in the modern tech ecosystem. In many ways, DIY experimentation has never been more powerful. Robotics gear and 3D printers are easily bought, and hacker-friendly hardware like the Arduino microcontroller and Raspberry Pi are well-established. But the chips are still made in a big factory somewhere, Zalouf says. There's been little progress with making that more accessible. Ellsworth, whose homebrew transistors inspired Zalouf, 
says there could be value in enabling high-quality, hands-on chip making. The tools we have today could put this within reach of small-scale operations, and for certain problems, I think it makes a lot of sense, she says. Ellsworth says chip technology seen as outdated to leading fabs can still be useful to engineers. Zalouf recently upgraded his photolithography machine to print details as small as about 0.3 microns, or 300 nanometers, roughly on par with the commercial chip industry in the mid-90s. Now he's thinking about the functions he could build into a chip on the scale of Intel's historic 4004. I want to push Garage Silicon further and open people's minds to the possibility that we can do some of this stuff at home, he says. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.